Okay, so as I said, really glad to see so many of you back after our, um, our hiatus. We, I had been slow walking the class uh, a little bit, trying to leave room for interaction and feedback, and there have been many times that someone's made a comment or asked a question over the course of the term that has really influenced something that we spent time on the next week in an attempt to, to address that. So really tried to build that flexibility in, um, but that was in a structure where we thought we had 17 weeks uh, to do this. And between the Easter holiday and then the special uh, elder-led classes that we've had for the last few weeks, uh, I, I think that today is our 12th of what will be 13 total class meetings. So we don't quite have the margin that we intended when we started. Uh, that's fine, uh, but, but it does mean we're going to try to cover uh, quite a bit of ground today and, uh, and tomorrow. Um, we've been talking most recently, just a little bit of catch up uh, for those of you who... Um, uh, well, I guess all of us, myself included, have, have sort of been out of the, the regular routine of thinking about these things weekly. We've been talking about what we learned to do to navigate relationships. Um, and there was a, a table that I sort of, sort of was in um, a draft form that I shared uh, a few uh, sessions ago. And I, I have clarified a couple of things on this table uh, based on some feedback, um, you know, we talked about things that we might have learned, rules that we might have experienced growing up, how those things may have functioned to navigate our family of origin. And we talked about how those things could, and not necessarily that they would, but they could become problematic in adulthood if we don't adjust them and revisit them periodically. Uh, and so things like learning to be funny, which is a wonderful skill all life long, can sometimes be used in adulthood to deflect important or serious conversations, right? So, so that's something that we talked about um, a couple of class sessions ago. Then in our most recent session where we met together uh, before we took a little break, we said that roles may be especially challenging under a couple of circumstances. When we experience incompatibility with one another, okay, so I, I have a role that, that formed as I developed and I come into adult relationship with another person who had a role and these two roles, they don't mesh particularly uh, easily, right? And so sometimes we experience incompatibility with those around us and, uh, or, Sometimes we might experience an incongruence with the larger ch church culture, some sort of a, uh, a lack of fit there. And so in our last class together, we covered the issue of incompatibility. We visited Corinthians 12. George led us through some, some really helpful thoughts about that. We're going to come back to Corinthians 12 uh, later today as well. But we visited Corinthians 12, you know, that wonderful passage about how we are one body but made up of many different parts with different functions, different personalities, different roles. Uh, and we asked a couple of questions in the context of that conversation. 
you know, we, we tried to think critically a little bit about spiritual gifts, uh, natural personality, history, uh, kind of where all these things come together. Where, where do our personal experiences and our giftings intersect? Because we know from Scripture that different, different uh, ones of us have different gifting. But we also thought about how our church of origin history uh, can be a gift to the body of Christ, right? Like, we have people here from uh, more progressive backgrounds, less progressive backgrounds, rural backgrounds, urban ba- backgrounds, more diverse, more homogenous, and we're all coming together and, and we're creating a body uh, from so many different church of origin histories. And, and we frame that, instead of thinking about it in a negative way that can really... Uh, add to a sense of incompatibility, we framed that in a, in a more positive way. So this week, we want to keep that in mind as we move to the second issue that we raised in our last class <coughs> about <coughs> incongruence, perhaps a perceived incongruence, a perceived lack of fit with what the <laughs> church culture around us what is valued, right? Um, what is perpetuated? What is praised by our church system? And, and what may not be, right? What, what, what receives gold stars, if you will, right? And, and what might receive uh, rebuke? And we're not talking about, when I talk about, when I say rebuke, I'm not talking about uh, a um, appropriate response to sin. We're talking about. Um, I I'm not comfortable with your personality or your gifting or some way in which you and I are different, and so I respond to you in a way that makes it clear that mm, maybe you don't belong here or you don't belong with me, which is of course very much outside of what Paul seems to be suggesting we should be doing as the, uh, the body of Christ. So we, we want to think about that uh, a little bit more in depth today. Uh, one other reminder, and this is from way back uh, when we very uh, early on in the class when I introduced you to our friend Murray Bowen from Waverly, Tennessee, uh, the great uh, family therapist who has influenced uh, a lot of my thinking, uh, as well as the thinking of, of generations of family therapists after him. Um, we talked about not all of his eight concepts, but we talked about a few of them, and one in particular that, that I mentioned going back to that first or second day of class was this idea of the family projection process. Now again, Bowen was talking about how this works in your, you know, families growing up, but these same patterns, we think, can also exist in something like the church family. What the family projection process suggests is that when familial leadership lacks sufficient differentiation, which we've talked about quite a bit, the leadership tends to pro- project its anxiety onto others within the system, most often the developing members, the children in the system, which can impair their 
development. Okay, so in other words, I'm, I'm an anxious parent. Um, I could just say parent. You know, I mean, that's, that's the big secret, right, is that all parents are anxious, you know. Uh, I've, I've yet to meet one who doesn't have some level of anxiety about their effectiveness or lack thereof as a parent, myself included. But I'm, I'm an anxious parent. Uh, I'm, con I, I, I'm scanning my kids, right, for, for any sign that, uh, that might confirm my worst fears, my anxieties about them. And so I'm, I'm sort of treating them in a way that um, actually might end up creating the very thing that I'm hoping to avoid. So expectations that guide behavior within a system or rules can be either overtly or covertly communicated, and they may be passed from subsystem to subsystem, so for example, from parents to children, as well as intergenerationally over time. And when that happens, the intergenerational passing of anxiety happens, we've gone into this other Bowenian idea of, of the multi-generational transmissions process. In other words, there are anxieties that uh, may have existed in our church culture three generations ago. Those obviously had an effect on those folks two generations ago, one generation ago, etc. So this idea is that anxiety can be passed down through the system. Uh, and um, when it comes to finding, this makes, I think, I think we can understand this process when it comes to finding flaws, right? Things we don't like in our church system, things we don't want to be true of members of our church system, right? We understand how this might work. I do want to pause and say that this can also uh, be done in a way that um, instead of harnessing anxiety and passing that down generationally, we can harness our best hopes. We, we can harness our ideals. We can harness uh, our sort of vision for what we as a church could be. And that it also can be shared, can be passed generationally and multi- generationally. And isn't that part of what those of us who have parented, isn't that part of what we tried to do? Sure, many of us, probably all of us have been guilty at times of, of casting our anxieties onto our kids, but we've also made work of looking for the best in our kids as well. And seeing their competencies, right? And speaking into those things. And encouraging those things. And some of us have, have kids that have made that easier than others. You know. Some, it, it, some of us who, who have, if you have two or more kids, right, you may have had one of those kids who the things they excelled at aligned with the things that uh, are easy to point to and praise and uh, encourage. Because they excelled at things where they, you know, received uh, awards or high GPAs or, or you know, uh, things that, 
that it, it didn't take a lot of creativity on our part as parents to recognize and encourage because uh, others around us were also recognizing and encouraging those things. But sometimes our kids have competencies that maybe aren't so overtly uh, praised and lauded in the culture around them. So they're not, what they're good at isn't coming back on a report card. It isn't coming back in the form of a medal or an athletic letter or something like that, right? Um, I'll, 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 I'll give you an example of, of something that I, I noticed in my youngest from a very, very young age, I noticed that my son would see people come into a room who were unaccompanied and would go to them. And that never is going to show up on a report. But he, when he was a little boy, I could, I could, uh, I could see that happening. And um, there's no metal hanging in, in his childhood bedroom for that, you know. Um, although he did, uh, when he got to college, they took the Clifton Strengths Finders, and lo and behold, one of his top five strengths was Includer, you know. I, and I got to tell you, as a parent, I was. So so envious of that ability in him because I don't I want to be good at that I want to be good at it and so I see it and I value it in him and I could say son this is a thing that I see in you you know do more of this so as parents I think you know we might be able to relate to that my suggestion is the same thing is happening in, in, the, in churches <coughs> that some of us have gotten feedback coming up that whatever those things that we're good at, why don't you do a little less of that? (laughs) Do a little less of asking those hard questions, which is a great gift that some of us have, right? Um, Do a little more of giving the right answers and a little less of asking the hard questions. You know, whatever it might be, right? That just as in our uh, physical families of origin, in our church families, that same thing may be happening. Where things that, that the system is anxious about are getting discouraged. Things that the system already values are getting encouraged. And we want to think a little bit about maybe what some of those things are. And if we need to be more intentional about the things that we, we encourage. So... Uh, I've asked George to go back, take us back, if he would, uh, to Corinthians 12 and, and talk a little bit more about what you see happening here as it relates to what we're talking about. Yeah, so as, as Dave was talking about this, this passage came to mind, and I didn't realize how, how well it fits what he just was talking about until I, I reread it with this kind of preface in mind. And it's, it's kind of amazing what Paul does here with this body analogy. So the the general context in 1 Corinthians is the Corinthian church is having problems, uh, lots of problems, serious problems that, you know, if our congregation is going through a problem like that, we'd be kind of surprised that we're still called a congregation, maybe. Or, you know, like, uh, it, it's encouraging in some ways to know that even in the first century church, they had serious issues about 
Uh, you know, he mentioned earlier about the Lord's Supper. Some people are eating plenty and, and getting drunk, <laughs> and other people are shunned and not getting any food. And not, he says, if that's what you're doing, you're not really doing the Lord's Supper. It'd be better, you know, you got homes to eat and drink it. Don't, don't bring that, those types of things to the, that, that's going against what the communion is really about. And so, you know, we talk about the church as the body of Christ, and then he, he goes into this analogy about the human body and how all the different parts need each other to function. So that's the part at the beginning. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts, you know, that's one thing. The parts that are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And it's, it's not clear exactly what parts he has in mind, so we have to use our imagination to think about what parts those would be. But then he goes on to say, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. And I did read a commentary yesterday that mentioned, this is probably talking about the parts that you think of would need special modesty uh, in, you know, like at the beach or whatever. Now, those, there are certain parts <laughs> that need special covering. Um, Our swimsuit parts. <laughs> <laughs> but other parts of your body need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. So this fits into what yeah. Dave was talking about. There are parts of the body of Christ that get honor naturally for whatever reason. Those, those particular roles are given honor and credibility. But who are these people or what are these gifts that are, in, not in, I don't know the right term, that they, they need to be treated with so who are these people? <laughs> That's my question is, what ideas do you have about what roles would be the, the unpresentable parts? Yeah. Well, the beauty of this passage to me is that he doesn't name mm. the parts. Mm. I mean, because we can all go, okay, it's the parts that do. You know, I mean, and, 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 and we can go there. But but what this does is, is it kind of speaks to the, the tendency that all of us have, and it's different for all of us, um, to, to shame our bodies. And to, you know, we, we all have the parts of our bodies that we're a little embarrassed by. And, and when, we, when we look at the corporate body through the lens of the parts of our bodies that, oh man, I wish it was you know, I, I, I wish I was about 30 pounds lighter. I hate the way that I get the cowlicks in my hair or whatever. It, 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 it teaches us to look at a different type of person than the ones that we tend to go, oh, wow, they're, they're, the, they're the leaders in the community. They're the ones that are the big shots here. They sing really well. They're, you know, they're great preachers. These are the ones that we can put up on the stage. And it lets us go, maybe we should be paying attention to those people that we just kind of go, oh, I'm not sure I'm going to talk to them today. 
we went to uh, Philadelphia years ago, and there was garbage truck. And you would think the people that collect garbage would be able to go home for But when they stopped picking up garbage, you know, the whole city of Philadelphia was shut down. And we went through there, and I was going to go home off the city, and then we went into the line, and we had to stay there. This melt that down. So, my point is, is that every part of the time is important. I mean, I get an angle on the phone, and I can't walk that way. And I can't run that way. I get a toothache. unpresentable catches me because otherwise it, it seems like it could be like a foil to the first two, you know, where it's like maybe the unpresentable part, the parts that should be treated with modesty are people who have wealth that they can be generous with or something, but then that, how is that unpresentable? Like, I don't know, I would just... I, to tag on to what you're saying, I, I, I kind of see, I've always seen that as being we know there are things that we as a body do that may not be exactly what Paul would want us to do if he were among us, right? There are things we do with our money, there are things we do with our lives, with our time, and we have to accept those things as a part of us. Now, whether it's something we want to be proud of, probably not, but that doesn't mean that part of our body isn't a part of us. They're still, we're still one, even with those faults mixed in. Mm -hmm. And we have to accept those and uh, faults and live with them, improve them, whatever, but we can't disassociate ourselves just because we don't like it, right? Or just because we think it's undesirable. Mm -hmm. It's still an integral part of what we are. Of Corinthians, what I'm thinking about is, you know, we, 
there's a problem, it seems like, with them pricing, like the gift of speaking in tongues, for example, because he comes out and says, now, you know, not everybody has the same gift, and we can't force everybody to have these charismatic, supernatural, you know, very public gifts. First Corinthians 13 is famous, the love chapter, you know, the love, having the kind of love we're supposed to have is kind of supernatural as well, but it's, it's not a showy sometimes. Mm. And so he's trying to get their attention less on everybody needs to speak in tongues and prophesy and um, special knowledge and things like that that are, are being exalted and saying there's, there's some everyday love, faith, hope, and love are just as important and, and desire the, the, the greater gift that aren't as, as obviously um, public and supernatural, but are just as important. And if we didn't have those things in the body, the, the body would suffer greatly for that. And That's good. I've all, I've, you know, this is just off the top of my head too, but almost every church you or every church group I've, I've been in, there's been a few people that are those people that you think, I guess this is what the church is for because other social groups probably would not let these people, you know, they would get shunned, you know, like, okay, well, that person. But churches always seem to attract, and it's, it's good for most of us, right, that the church lets us come. But um, <laughs> <laughs> that there's always, I'm almost like, yeah, there's going to be, there's going to be those people because that's what our group professes, is that we include people that, that no other social group would include. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it says here, those are the people you give the greater honor to. Yeah. I mean, you, if if you think of that group of people as the exception of the as, as the exception <coughs> to the rest of the group, uh, you've got church wrong. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Those people are the church, and the rest. You know, and if you're thinking in those terms, the rest of us that are more presentable, we don't need any more. Yeah. Those people are the church, and it's not the church if you're not bringing all of them in to the bigger picture and giving them greater honor. And, and I would even say all of us take turns right. being those people. But it goes back to what James says in what James 2, don't, you know, which person walks in, you don't give them a special honor. Other, other thoughts on this this piece. This is this is really really rich feedback. I I just love the church so much and what the church can be. I I, I mean I find myself getting a little uh, emotional hearing some of 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 y'all talk about this because it's um, uh, it's it's encouraging, right? To see the church being intentional about being the church. Absolutely. And as we talk about, you know, we, I started saying that, that we, we're having this conversation about um, roles uh, under the umbrella of this question. You know, what, what did we learn to do to navigate relationships? You know, how are those working? But this conversation is also, I think, very much related to this question of what would it look like to hold on to your needs? So I'm, 
I'm doing whatever I'm doing, whatever I grew up learning to do, whatever I grew, I learned to do this to survive, and so I'm doing this now in my adult life in order to manage my life, meet my, get my needs met, right? Nobody's suggesting that uh, the underlying need that I'm trying to get met is problematic. I, uh, I, I may have shared this once already this semester. I, uh, this is the problem of taking a little bit of a break as I can't remember exactly what I've said or haven't said, but uh, you know, I had a question posed to me in a public forum once about uh, adolescents. This was a forum of youth ministers. Uh, adolescents who uh, you know, might, might appear to need uh, mental health support as, well, what if they're just getting, doing that for attention, right? And my response was, Attention seems like a legitimate human need to me. I, I, I'm, I, I, I think I know what you mean when you ask the question, but I want you to consider that doing something to get attention uh, isn't necessarily as problematic as maybe you think it is. That we need attention, right? Now, we may be uh, operating in some way, playing a role in order to get that attention. That's problematic on some level and maybe there are better ways for us to to you know to find to get those needs met but we're not it, we can still hold on to that while growing into more of a Christ informed role this body right this, this is not just anybody it's it's the body of, of Christ okay how so how can we still be who we are, right? Have had the developmental experiences we've had, uh, meet the needs that we have while continuing to evolve and grow and mature to be more and more, have a role that looks more and more and more like the role of, of Jesus, right? That, and again, as I heard y'all talk about how to be the church, it also sounded like a conversation of how to be more Christ-informed. Uh, and, and the good news about this is this goes beyond whatever roles we were handed growing up, whatever roles we might have formed growing up. Right? Uh, I don't believe any of us are limited in our ability to become more Christ-like. Now, Paul addresses this in Galatians, and we've spent a lot of time in Galatians. We, early on in the, in the semester, we started in Galatians, so I think it's appropriate that we return to Galatians as we think about this question of growing into an increasingly more Christ-like or Christ-informed role. And I, and I asked um, George about a passage, and it's, it's good to have smart friends uh, who, who know Greek, right? And I asked him about a passage. Um, this is a passage that I, I told y'all uh, early on that, that this all started with a, a paper that I had written. And uh, Josh said, oh, this should really be a class. But that wasn't the only feedback Josh gave me. Josh also said, you really need to change the version of, of scripture that you're quoting here. And I don't even remember what version it is, right? But I don't think he found it uh, theologically robust, right? And I, and I said, 
Well, uh, I chose it uh, like any good church boy would because it had the word I wanted. <laughs> it says the word rule right in it, Josh. That's why I, I, I looked at every version that exists until I could find the word rule. Uh, and so George may want to speak to that. But also, George, uh, can you take us through this a little bit as we think about becoming more more Christ-like, the, 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 uh, the people we're intended to be? So Paul in Galatians is dealing with the Jew-Gentile issue. How do we get Jews and Gentiles who are very, from very different backgrounds in the same community, in the same church? Uh, how do we get them to eat together and do all their things together? It's a very difficult problem. And the way he does it is that we center on the cross of Jesus, and, and that levels everybody's the same at the foot of the cross. And so if we all can just acknowledge that we all need Jesus in, in the same way, even if you are Jewish, even if you have that history of being you know, the people of God that you're bringing into the community, the Gentiles now are grafted in, and they're, they're coming into the community as well. And so we have to, it's not important if a man is circumcised or uncircumcised. So the circumcision thing, so in Galatians, apparently there were some Jewish Christians saying everybody needs to be circumcised, or all the men have to be circumcised um, to be part of the community. And Paul's like, no, I, that's, that's a different gospel. That's not the gospel of Jesus. Um, and so as he, at, at the very end, this is Galatians 6 at the very end, where he takes up the pen in his own hand, he's emphasizing all the things that, that he thinks are important. Uh, the important thing is being the new people God has made. So we're a new creation. We're starting something new. That, that makes the Jew-Gentile, slave-free, male-female thing not as not the things that identify us. Um, and he says, peace and mercy to those who follow this rule, this rule of following the cross of Jesus, being crucified to the world. Um, and then he says, this translation says, and to all of God's people. I, that's the part I, I, I think we missed something because it, it's literally... He says, to the Israel of God. Mm. So there's, he uses the term Israel, which is their special term, and he's applying it to people who would have been excluded from Israel. So this translation, unfortunately, I think, misses that. But they're trying to get the point, they're trying to make the point, which is correct, that now Jew and Gentile together are God's people. But it's this would be one of the only places, it may be the only place, in the Bible, where Israel, the term Israel is used of, of Gentiles as well, mm. which would be, I think that's super important. Yeah. So uh, if we can see ourselves as all being together, we can focus on Jesus and not on our individual backgrounds, then it leads to unity in the church. But when I'm hearing you talk about that, I'm thinking that the Gentile doesn't cease to be a Gentile. Like we've been, we've talked so much about our developmental experiences in our families and in our churches and how they have shaped us. The Gentile had the Gentile experience, which that's not a monolithic experience either. I mean, they, they had diverse experiences within that, uh, you know, that system. But the Gentile still had the Gentile experience. The Jew still had the Jew experience. The male still had the male experience and the female the female experience, like, which were decidedly different given the constraints of the culture, right? And yet somehow they can come, they, they don't cease to have those, those differences. 
but there's something bigger than that yeah. that uh, there's, a, there's a greater identity than just the identities that they bring. So uh, he's not going to brag about, he's not going to boast about anything except the cross. So that's a huge. Mm. So Jesus, as the example of the, the true power in the universe, is the sacrificial love of, yeah. of even your enemies. That is the identifying factor, not your ethnic background, your free or slave or whatever. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Questions or comments that come up in, in response to this idea? That's such a Greek Greek professor <laughs> answer, oh, they, right? They, they, they well, it could mean this. They want to drop the class. Yeah. So, so to me, it could mean that he's saying even to the Israel of God, meaning Jew Gentile together, is now God's people, and that's how this translation is just they're just moving straight to that. But it seems to me to me to make more sense just to everybody because he's been yeah. talking about that distinction. Yeah. Um, Israel, even, even, you, even the Israel. Yeah, the Israel, yeah. even the Israel mm. needs to do this. Mm. I have to, I'll read it again with that, with that thought and see. Excuse me. Could be. Yeah. Just coming back. Could be. Yeah. Okay, putting on my editor's hat and talking about syntax for a little bit. If we're talking even, are we talking applying to following the rule or applying to yeah. the bestowing of peace and mercy upon yeah. a group because yeah. it, and, and I don't know the Greek and yeah. I don't know how that would apply but I do know the English and how you, you yeah. look at it and, and what if, if, if you were like diagramming the sentence and taking out the, the parts that don't really matter that even really looks to apply to the, the wish of peace and mercy. I mm. peace and mercy to the if you're circumcised, peace and mercy to you. 
And you know, while we're at it, peace and mercy to the rest of you too. Yeah. Because the yeah. peace and the mercy, the bragging of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's on all of you, even the ones who are circumcised, even the ones who are not circumcised. Yeah. Peace and mercy to all of you, no matter whether you got cut or not. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's it's going to be the same in Greek, I think, as where you know to what is he referring back to? Yeah, but if you're if you're, if you're applying that, that specific, yeah, if you're applying that even to the following of the rule, yeah, you you're yeah. you're changing everything that came before it. Yeah. It, it. it doesn't it doesn't make sense. Thank you, George. I, George, I, I really appreciate George's uh, contribution to this and. Um, uh, I'm thanking him now because uh, he will not, is this is still true? Yeah, we'll be out of town. Yeah, he'll be out of town next week. N next week, I'm going to try to wrap up because uh, we will be at the end of the, of the semester. And, um, you know, I want us to think a little bit about, um, again, as I heard y'all talk about the church really being the church, you know, that's a big part of this last question too is what do we want for the emerging generations in the church right we we've had our developmental experiences we've had our church of origin experiences you know how do we think about uh the church of origin experiences uh for those who who are still uh coming up and developing in in our midst and uh and you know what how how can we be uh how can we be most uh, beneficial to them in their faith formation? So uh, I'm looking forward to that conversation. Uh, thank you so much for being here. We'll see you next week.